we wanted to give a very special thank you to Melissa and Cameron Tidd um, from Goshen, New York, from Goshen Public Library. And also You're listening to, to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, more and all things this side of the reference desk. Library land. So Thanks stay tuned. Welcome to a very special uh, give a episode of the Library Pros Podcast. And I'm part Chris. Three of the podcast Unfortunately, Bob part two being uh, be with well. us today. From we are University, podcasting from Beth the Lather New York from the Strong uh, National Museum of in Rochester, New York. And Carl Rivera from, from the format Seymour Library in Rockport, New York. Because we are at a conference, we like to interview as many people as possible. So we're going to break this episode into three parts. The first part being with uh, Baron Angel, who's a librarian and program coordinator at the Florida Public Library in Florida, New York, and Melissa and Cameron Tidd. Now, Cameron is a IT software engineer at uh, Technically Created in Goshen, New York. And Melissa is a library clerk at the Goshen Public Library, and at the time of this recording was an intern at the Port Jervis Library and enrolled in Saint, not Saint, in um, Syracuse University's high uh, school for library science. So they're going to be in our first part. The second part we're going to have with Jill Hurst Wall, uh, professor at Syracuse University's high school, and uh, she's also going to be joined by Beth Lathrop who is the director of libraries at the Strong National Museum of Play. We're going to have a lot of fun with her. And also Carl Guevara, who is the director of the Seymour Library in Brockport, New York. And the third part is going to be exclusively speaking with Beth again from the Strong National Museum of Play. Uh, she had a lot of stuff to share about an amazing uh, museum that she works in, which is basically a toy museum, but it's an amazing experience. So. Let's get to the episode. Okay, we're back at the New York Library Association conference, and we have some guests here. So if you can go around and, and give us your name and where you're from. Hi, I'm. Uh, my name is Melissa. I work at the Goshen Library, which is in Orange County, New York. The actual name is Goshen Public Library Historical Society, and I'm also a current. I also intern at the Port Jervis Library, and I'm a current student uh, with Syracuse University, hoping to graduate in the spring. My name is Cameron. I'm married to Melissa. I'm also from Goshen, and I'm a software engineer from Technically Creative, and I love libraries. So. My name is Baron Angel. Uh, I'm the librarian and program coordinator at the Florida Public Library in Florida, New York. Well, thanks for coming in, guys. Um, so, so far, Nyla's been pretty good, right? Oh, it's been great. Great program. Oh, wonderful. What, what I really like about Nyla is, um, and on this podcast, we talk to people from all over the world, but I always like to feature the libraries that are not New York City, and even though we're from the island and I interview a lot of people from the island, it's so great to talk to people who are based upon where we live from upstate. I don't know if you guys consider yourselves upstate or not. Probably not, right? Uh, probably, probably not. Probably technically, not. but not really. <laughs> we're more the New York City metro. Right. Yeah. Well, isn't it funny, I mean, for the people who, aren't, who are listening who are not from New York, upstate is relative to where you live. Exactly. So for most Long Islanders, once you go cross, cross the line from the Bronx into Westchester, you're upstate. Right. And, and if you're in western New York, you're not upstate, you're in western New York. So I guess any Adirondack people are like, no, we're not upstate, we're Adirondack people. Nobody yeah. wants to be upstate. Nobody wants to be upstaters. <laughs> no. It's the conclusion. It's pretty funny. So right? I don't necessarily mind being upstate. I mean, yes, like you said, it depends on where you live. Because, I mean, we consider upstate Albany. The right. area. Yeah, the capital region, yeah. Amsterdam, you know, North Country. So tell us about what's important to you at Nyla. 
I just love the networking and meeting people that are in your field. Um, and then also, like yesterday, we attended a panel, uh, Cameron and I attended a panel called I'm a Newish Librarian, giving advice to those who either are about to become librarians, graduating from library school, or even those who are librarians and want to find other ways to branch out. And everyone is just so supportive and nice and we all care, we all want to make a difference and it's just, it's just a great feeling for me. Yeah, definitely. How about you guys? I love getting to meet people and sharing the passion of libraries and we demoed board games yesterday, we demoed Munchkin and that was really fun and you know, just talking to nice people, we played trivia, that was cool. You know, libraries are safe space for everybody so I love to be in this aura that emanates from Nyla. How about you? Well, they certainly covered a lot of it. The variety of programs is certainly excellent. Getting to meet other people, both those that um, work in similar aspects of librarianship as you, and also those outside of that. So you get to both enhance your own skills that are relevant to your job, but also get ideas for things that are outside of your area that you could bring back to your coworkers, other people at your library. You know, I can go to the programs here that are about teen volunteers and about gaming programs for teens and things like that because I mostly focus on the teens at my library, as well as relevant technology <coughs> things like uh, I last you guys did a wonderful panel about how to make this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for remembering. Yes, that's that's actually one. very flattering. Was, thank you. Yes, all three of us. Came. That was but, uh, one of our favorites. Yeah, but getting to see all those things, but then also getting to uh, see other aspects, including things that just we enjoy. Like, for example, a lot of the programs put on by the Pop Culture Roundtable yeah. are, are really fun. We've been helping out with them. Uh, like you said, Melissa was doing a board game demo yesterday. We, uh, we were able to go to their trivia night on Wednesday night, which was a lot of fun. Uh, they just have a lot of great things going on, so we get to do a lot of you know aspects of our that we enjoy that we might not get to directly do a lot of in our own, in, you know, at, at our own libraries, but also bring some of that back to try to bring that into our libraries, and also enhance a lot of other areas and, and learn about things we might not have initially thought about or might not have a focus on. Like I went to the uh, youth services section meeting yesterday, which. I'm mostly teens, so they had uh, picture book uh, author and illustrator Bob Shea, which was really enjoyable because I don't see a lot of the picture book stuff being that I'm, uh, I'm doing most of the teen programming. So even though I'm ordering most of the materials, um, it, being able to see those kind of authors helps me in an area that I have to buy materials for, but I'm not directly working with that population a lot. So that certainly sure. helps. Baron and I attended the public uh, libraries uh, section meeting this morning, and they were giving out awards to different libraries, like some for, like innovative programs. And like, like he was saying, you can take, you can get program ideas and maybe bring it back to your own library. Like for example, one of the programs I forgot which library it was, but one of the programs was they did a spelling bee at their library. So I was like, that was kind of cool. <laughs> um, so just for example, this gives you ideas about what maybe you can do in the future, possibly. And I, I'm going to put Melissa on the spot for a second, but uh -oh. she won the Dewey Scholarship, so she's going to be awarded oh. at the banquet. Congratulations, oh, thank bro. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, I was technically awarded already, but they're going to announce it tonight. Oh, that's great. Free banquet. ticket to Nyla. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Syracuse yes, University. From Syracuse, yeah. That's really cool. Thank you. So tell us why you wanted to come in today. I mean, I'm flattered that you wanted to come in, but tell us why you wanted to come in. This is, this is fun. It's good to see the excitement. I, I mean, I've worked in libraries for over 12 years now, and mm -hmm. I've also volunteered there as a kid, so I feel like I grew up in libraries. Um, I'm also a student ambassador with Syracuse University, and I've done webinars helping prospective students who are thinking about coming to Syracuse. And, uh, you know, with, and I just say you know, all the great, because I've had a great time in this program, 
But but the point I was trying to get at is that I just have when you have a passion for something, you want to tell people about it, and just to show them it can be you know a great space. Libraries are you know supposed to be safe spaces, and you know you can provide opportunities for them, opportunities to learn, and you know even meet people because libraries are very community oriented. Just you know to get together and have a have a great time, have a great experience. I just love spreading the word. Well, isn't it interesting how libraries are the only real government agency where they're not trying to take money from you, charge you a tax, make you fill out a form for the most part, um, and you are meeting somebody who's friendly, who wants to help you. You could potentially walk out with stuff for free or go to a program for free, or if there's a nominal fee involved, it's, an, it's really a nominal fee, or just have access to services. We're the only government agency that's out there that's actually here to help and not there to regulate you in one way, shape, or form. And I always found that interesting because we, um, we, we do different kind of work. And you know, I use the word government agency kind of loosely because we don't have that feel. We're a warm, friendly, open, and inviting place. And we're not the DMV. Sorry, DMV people. You know, we're not the courthouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of places even more so. I mean, I don't know if you heard that, wonder, that wonderful keynote speech from the uh, first ever library social worker out at the San Francisco Public Library at the start of the weekend here. But libraries, a lot of libraries are even expanding beyond the, just the role of, you know, providing, you know, materials and base level services to, re you know, realizing that in that, that warm public place that we're trying to invite people into, there's a lot of people that need help beyond the basic things that libraries are known for. And so we're starting to go above and beyond, like San Francisco Public Library providing a social worker and other people who can help in those areas. I think they mentioned a library in Texas that hired uh, has a nurses on staff. Just all the um, amazingly interesting ways in which libraries are expanding to cover areas that you would never expect libraries to cover, but that we really can cover because people feel comfortable coming to a library for help. And they're already there, and it's a way to really get to the people that need help that we might not otherwise be able to get to. That's right, because there's this notion with a lot of people that libraries are outdated. Who needs books? We have Kindle, but really libraries are more important than ever. You got that aspect. You can have maker spaces. It really democratizes learning and education. It's one of the cornerstones, I think, of a free democracy. The other being public schooling that really brought education to the masses and really made it possible for anyone to really get up from the dredges of society and do whatever you want to do and be whoever you want to be. So, you know, I'm always going to support a library. We're building a new library in Goshen. It's going to be open this spring and I get to see them erect the frame. I drive by it every day. They're working on the roof right now. It's great to see. I'm really excited. And it's good to see you have community support for something like that too. Absolutely. Definitely. And I will say, as a circulation clerk, people still check out books, so... Well, you know, you talk about generational shifts, and you talk about perceptions from generation to generation. And me being the generation born in the early 70s, we still have that... I don't want to say that stereotype, but there's still that notion where, you know, you th when you think libraries and you were to say... Somebody said um, the word library and you had to draw a picture. People from my generation and older would draw books. Whereas you went, if you would talk to maybe a young teen or a 12-year-old, 10-year-old, and you say library, draw, draw something that is the first thing you think of when it comes to libraries. They may draw a computer. They may draw a 3D printer. 
They may draw, they may even just draw an iPad and say, this is the app that I use to watch movies. Yeah. So what's nice is it's a generational shift away from that stereotype of the, the old lady with the shawl and the hair in the bun with the pencil stuck in it and the glasses on a chain and going shh all the time. So I think <laughs> with the exception of the New York State Lottery, it just keeps perpetuating with that dumb commercial that they have. But um, sorry, New York State Lottery. I guess you're never going to get them as a sponsor. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, yeah. Whoopsie. But, uh, you know, I think there's a generational shift with the perception of libraries. So for the people who are saying libraries are outdated, what do I need libraries for? Because I have Google. That's great. But I went to, a, uh, I think it was Computers and Libraries last year, and um, it was talking about Google alternatives. Because when you search the internet, you're not searching the internet when you're using Google. You're searching Google's view of the internet. So librarians are important when you need information because we can take that information from Google or if you're using DuckDuckGo or whatever you're using and we can curate where and we can actually say not a good source not a good source not oh there's a good source right there you know if you're looking to see you want to learn about Parkinson's disease the first five or six things say add in little tiny print and it's you know here's a miracle pill and here's this and here's that and then you get to the um, you know, National Institutes of Health and um, Mayo Clinic and all the, the credible sites. So people, they, they always say, never look up what's wrong with you because you're five clicks away from dying. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so to find the information for the patron who comes in or the customer, depending on what your term of art is, and being able to give them credible information. I mean, it could be something as simple as, how do I change a fuse in my car? Or it could be something as complex as, tell me about Parkinson's disease, or I just got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. It could be a college student coming in needing to do a report on World War I. You know, the, the idea is that we're here because we can curate what's good and what's bad. It's not just walking into the stack and saying, here's the section, good luck. You know, exactly. it, it's, it's more about the curation and about all the digital services that we provide that can support that. So, we have a lot of students now that are distance learning. So we have some Syracuse iSchool people that are down on the island and uh, people who are studying, you know, with, you know, Phoenix University, you know, Fe University of Phoenix and, and some of these other online schools. And they need something as simple as testing services. They need, a, they need a proctor. We provide proctoring services. They need information on database searching because that, whatever they're looking for on their college database, they can't find the information. So what can we do? we can show them, well, here's some old school Boolean searching. This is how you can do some delimiters. This is how, you, if you just go to Google, and not pushing Google, but if you, need a, if you need just synonyms to find the same thing, sometimes just changing a search term will open you up to a whole different group of material that you couldn't even find before. So in terms of that, it's like quasi-academic. But I think public librarians can learn a lot, first of all, we can learn a lot from academic librarians, but we can also help and supplement those distance learners. So whether it's testing, whether it's doing research, whether it's just coming up with other resources, it's something that we do in the public library. We so, were learning about that last semester in my last class, about you know, evaluating which sources are good. Which, I mean, I've had, a, I had an idea anyway, but even like 
analyzing it more. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, like which is, a, which is a good source, which is a bad source. You don't want to go to what's my sickness.com. I'm just making that up. But right, you know, right. yeah, so, sure, sure. So, I'm gonna die.com. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, so, like that, yeah. yeah. It's nothing because it's the internet. All those sites exist, I'm sure. Well, well, yeah. Just because it's on the internet means it's true, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. With so, all the breadth of, of sources available, it gets even harder, exponentially harder, to know what's truth, what's fiction. So, yes, the world of librarians now more important than ever, actually with the digital revolution. Absolutely. And you know, it's really interesting too, uh, with regard to the digital services that we provide, even for entertainment. That's even shifting. So, if you think, I don't know if you guys remember the days of VHS. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yes, oh, we 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 okay. yes, we do. So, we are in our 30s, yes, we do. Okay. So, <laughs> the concept, when VHS was first introduced, the libraries were first started by VHS, was the people who, you know, the cranky ones, we'll just call them cranky ones. <laughs> Why libraries getting into in, into becoming blockbuster and becoming a video store, then transition to DVDs, and now we also transition to playaways and books on CD, and we went from books on tape to books on CD, and that was a, another shift, a little polar shift thing. Now we're transitioning from the DVD collection, which is still there and still browsable, but now we're moving over to like a canopy streaming service and hoopla streaming service. And eventually, I can foresee within the next 10 years, transitioning completely to some kind of digital streaming service where we pay a fee per watch as opposed to buying a DVD. And I think eventually the DVD collections, as they're making less and less DVD players, will go the way of VHS because of digital streaming. But again, these are services that the library has, that, that, and it's just starting to build now. So let's shift gears for a sec, and let's talk about what you're passionate about when it comes to libraries. What's, What's the, the, the reason that you're doing this? And maybe it's not, I mean, I know you're still in school, but what's your reason, what was the perception when you first came into the profession, and how did it develop into the passion that you're, you're doing now? I'm just gonna back up a little bit, because when I was a kid, I always had trouble with reading comprehension. So when I was growing up, like my, even my mother would be like, oh, you should be a librarian, you know, we're volunteering library, and I'm like, I don't like to read. But then as I started to like work there, as I've gone through college, and the experience I've had, like, cause I've always, I've always wanted to help people, and and then, I, and then as I started working there, I started reading more, and I was like, yeah, I like, I like reading better when I'm not graded on it, <laughs> so I feel like I can comprehend it better. But no, um, I just have, I just love to help people. I, I've, I've always wanted to make sure everyone was like happy and satisfied, um, and of course, and of course, reading more, it really does like expand your imagination. So just um, you know, helping people with the research they want, um, helping with their needs, and also you know, like providing a community-oriented space. I mean, I feel like community, like a community-oriented space, is a very, it's very like like a like a cozy feeling kind of. Mm -hmm, if that sure. makes any sense. So um, I just love all aspects of libraries. Just like with the experience working there, it just got me like, yeah, I think I do want to be a librarian. <laughs> so, and here I am today almost with a master, so. That's great. So how about you guys? Yeah, it's like what was mentioned earlier, um, you know, the librarians are here to help sort through all the things that are out there and get you the information that is accurate and useful to what you need. It's ever more important to have uh, programmers and technology IT people like you putting the programs out there that allow us to sift through all that data so that we have the tools we need to do what we need to do. Well, uh, just uh, drop a statement of work and then we'll make a contract and then... 
We'll see what I can do. Making deals on the podcast. I love it. There you go. Um, yeah, back to what Cameron was saying about me taking the data science course as an elective last summer. Uh, it, it also made me feel good because that's my husband's field, and I finally had somewhat of a better understanding as to what he does. And actually, where I interned, well, I still intern there, but um, over the summer, I actually, could, I have, well, back a little more. My, the spring semester, I took a class, a youth services class as an elective, and we were actually had a brief introduction to coding in the library, and they gave us resources as to what, how to teach, you know, possibly teach, you know, kids, and even adults, too, um, on some websites. Actually, yesterday, there was a panel about Scratch, and that's what I learned in my class. So. When I, when I started the internship, I was like, you know, maybe maybe we could start like some kind of coding program or something. And sure enough, over the summer, they incorporated that into summer reading, and the program exploded. The parents were like, oh my gosh, where has this been? And even the kids found it enjoyable too. So it and just seeing you know everyone like the kids and the parents like so happy, and they're like, oh maybe we can bring it into the schools. You know, it's just gives it's you a natural that, progression. It really is. It just gives you that. Also, gives you that great feeling inside, knowing that you like possibly helped, you know, with a new program and. And, and changing lives. And, yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, especially working as you know, with working with teens, you know, you can have a, a really big impact on what happens with um, with teens. I mean, I know from working in adult services, I've helped people by using LinkedIn to get jobs. And it's such a nice feeling when somebody comes back after taking a class on LinkedIn, or maybe I just did a one-on-one -on -one with them, and they come back like a month later and say, well, it's kind of sad, because most of the time they say, I'm moving to North Carolina, or I'm moving to Georgia, or I'm moving to Florida, because I got a job on LinkedIn because you showed me how to use LinkedIn. And as much as I don't want to see people leave, yeah. I'm happy because they were unemployed for a long period of time, especially during the recession, when so many people were losing their jobs. Uh, there were so many people, by so many I mean like 10 or 15 people, who I had helped with LinkedIn, and they were able to find jobs. They re most of them relocated, but at least they found jobs. And you know, that, that's satisfying, because if, if I were to retire today, which I'm not even close to retirement, so. Mm -hmm. But if I was to stop being a librarian today, I know that I made a difference in at least one person's life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, we talk about passion, that's why regardless of what you do, youth services, adult services, children's services, you know, IT, tech services, we all get into this because we want to affect people's lives for the better, not for the worse. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, that for me is, is so great because at the end of the day, you feel like maybe you, you made a difference. So, so what makes you get up in the morning? I think yeah. that's what ultimately it is. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Baron, tell me about the passion that you have. Well, truth be told, professionally, well, professionally speaking, I've been actually working in libraries since I was 15 years old, and that is 16 and a half years now. Uh, but before that, I mean, I've been helping, I started volunteering by helping putting books away at my middle, at my middle school library during study halls and lunch periods. That's when the infection starts. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was always, um, I had trouble reading when I was very, very young, and luckily my parents were on the ball enough to realize that, and they got me the Hooked on Phonics mm -hmm. from back in the day. I remember that book. You remember that? was my jam. <laughs> when I was six. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they got me on Hooked on Phonics. That really, um, I've always, generally, ever since using that, I found myself throughout my school that I was always, uh, from a reading comprehension perspective, ahead of most of my classmates because I used that when I was young. 
and I, I found that was really helpful. That really got me into reading, and so then, you know, as I was going through school, the library was always, you know, a place for me to go to find, you know, new books to read, to find information for classes, things like that. And uh, eventually, when I got into the middle school and high school area, I, I started uh, helping out at libraries. I got a job there in, in high school, only intending that, okay, that would be a part-time job through high school. My intent was to be a teacher at that time. And when I got into college and I started trying to teach program, I realized it really wasn't for me. And having been there so long, I realized I was working in the library. I don't want to leave. And so that's when I decided to just swap myself over to uh, Amy toward an MLS degree, which I now have, and now I'm a full-time librarian, so there you go. And isn't it interesting, too? Well, first of all, it, it's really unreasonable how we can ask somebody who's 17 or 18 what they want to do with their lives. Yeah. But it, it, it always, and I've, people who listen to the podcast are probably sick of me saying this now, but isn't it interesting how librarianship is usually a second profession, and people bring whatever they've learned from their previous life and, and career into it, so they bring a, a certain level of expertise from whatever field they were in before. And now, it's just, it's almost like adding to the collective, you know, because this person did this in a previous job, and this person did that, and with the exception of those those elite few that that one tenth of one percent and you may be back you may be part of that because you know you're going right to it um that wanted to be a librarian from from the word go um it's usually a second career and i think that actually helps the profession i don't think it's a negative for the profession you know we're like well nope they couldn't hack it in the real world so they became a librarian i don't think that's the case at all no i think it actually enhances the profession because you're bringing that that stuff with you so now you can actually help the patron even more. Yeah, yesterday at the um, at the newish librarian panel, one of the librarians, Cameron, you know, correct me if I you know miss something, but one of the librarians was saying when she was hired that she used to be a bartender. When I think when she was going through library school, right, Cameron? And and they were like, wow, that just the bartending experience with the customer service, like they were like paying attention to that, mm -hmm. and that, and sure enough, she got the librarian job. Well, it's interesting, too, because this conference, I, I kind of call it a leg up, because I know that I've been in a couple of the, the sessions where it's like, why didn't I think of that before? This, you know, it's like, they just gave me a leg up to try something new and try something different. And what's interesting is, even if you take a piece, a small piece of what was spoken at the conference and you make it fit into the puzzle piece that's your library, you know, it doesn't have to be the entire program. It could be one component and then you plug it into what fits for your community, and right there you have something. And one thing that I think librarians and, and library people do very well is collaborate. And we talk about collaboration so much on this podcast, people are probably turning off the episode right now. I, I say way too much. So now we can say whatever we want. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's all about collaboration. And, and we've talked to people from all over the world. And the, the collaboration I've gotten from other places and other countries, just from sitting and chatting, um, is amazing. So I think librarians are very open people. And we love to collaborate and share what we're doing. Because we want to help each other. I mean, as much as we want to help the people who come into our building, as professionals, we want to share what we're doing. Not because we're bragging and beating our chests or anything like that, but because this worked for us, it could work for you too. And that's why last year when we did the podcasting thing, I'm really proud to say um, there were at least four podcasts 
that were started because of that program. That's awesome. That's great. And I've I've heard from other libraries throughout the state that say, can you send us the that list again of all the equipment that you use? Mm -hmm. and, you know, send me. Can you send us that script thing again? So, for me, I'm really proud of the fact that because we sat and chatted and showed our silly video and and all that stuff, it actually turned into a bunch of different podcasts. That's awesome, and it was inspirational, and that's part of why we're here because we laugh with you, and we found it so awesome. And thank you. Maybe we'll start a podcast with Barry. Yeah, but, but, but a, as I said, there are a couple of libraries in our system that have tried podcasts here and there, but nothing that's really seemed to be regular or really taken off. So I, I've always thought it would be interesting if we were able to uh, put together some kind of a podcast. Um, uh, we're from the Raymond Catskill Library System, which has 47 separate libraries in it. And so I always thought it would be interesting to get a system-wide podcast with people from the different libraries of the system coming in and talking about different things. I always thought that would be interesting, but... Uh, That's a great idea. Yeah. Because you don't necessarily have to have them come to your location. You can use, right. We use Google Hangouts. That's, I'm, I'm a master of Google Hangouts. Mm -hmm. And there's actually, I mean, I'm pointing to the board that nobody can see because it's an audio podcast. <laughs> um, but the XLR mic cords... You can buy one, and I have it in my, my, my kit of stuff. If I was going to be speaking to somebody someplace else, I have a wire that's XLR that goes into the board, and the other half is a three and a half inch headphone jack. Nice. Put that into your laptop, put that into your tablet, open Google Hangouts, Skype, FaceTime, whatever your video chat of choice is, and now the board sees that it's just another microphone. So now you adjust the levels here, you adjust the levels there, and now the audio comes through. And if you tweak it just right, it sounds like they're in the room with you. So this has been with Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, the UK, Canada, uh, Texas. And, and, that, and that's incredible just to be able to get those perspectives from so many different places because there are so many different libraries. I mean, even I mean, even here at Nyla, just the different libraries within New York, just being able to get the perspectives of people who are at, for example, I mean, my library has a service area of about 5,000 people. You know, it's it's you know a tiny little library in a, a mostly farming community where mm -hmm. you know, near the black dirt there where they grow all the uh, all the onions and things. Right. And so being able to compare our perspective from a tiny library with say New York Public, it's you know just being able to see the drastically different things and how these libraries are doing the different things with their communities and seeing is there a way we can adjust this to fit ours to shrink or enlarge it depending on size seeing all the different, uh, how the different communities respond to different things and saying, oh, you know, maybe that won't quite work, but maybe this will. How can I adapt this for my community? I think it's really interesting to see all the different sides, uh, given the different types of libraries and the different sizes of libraries and, and the communities around them. And it's content. At the end of the day, it's content. It's something patrons can listen to, other professionals in the field can listen to, and it's just, it's just more content you can offer. Some of the other libraries have also started um, automatic renewals. Um, yes. Where, um, you know, I mean, it depends on the, the item, and it's, if it is a renewable item, or if there's a hold on it, it can't renew. But uh, if it's an item that, you know, belongs to a library that's participating, and there's no holds, they will do up to two times automatic renewals. And that has made a big difference. I mean, I've, se I've seen patrons come in, and they say, oh, I, you know, it was due yesterday, I owe a quarter or something like that. Or they're like, oh, it's really late, I, it's five days late, here's, here's a 10 or something like that. And I say to them, you have no fine. And I mean, we try to, you know, tell people beforehand, but of course, you know, sometimes it's everybody, but then when you tell them, the smile on their face 
it just makes your day. That's like, the buy-in right there. Yeah, I mean, even a kid one time, he, when he it came in for his parent, I guess the parent was in the car, and he said, and I said, no, there's no fine, it's not late, you're good, and he goes, oh, he's like, thanks. Like, just like seeing his face beam, it just makes your, it just makes your day. You know, and they're, I think they're very appreciative of that. Well, I think the fine structure is, again, part of that old school thinking, that old library thinking, where it was the books, and now if you only had two copies of this book, and now one isn't coming back, there has to be a penalty for that because we need the book back. We're now, you know, I like to say libraries used to be 80 and 90% about the books. Now, books are still there, and books are not going away. But I would argue that maybe it's 60 or 50% of what we do now, and not that 90%. Mm -hmm. So fines aren't as relevant. Our budgets are different now, so we can get five copies of that Patterson book if we need it. Um, or you know, we're able to buy enough of a volume because we know our community, and we know how to buy for it. It's not the way it was back, back in the day, where you know, back in the 60s, the 50s. So that the whole reimagining of fines has changed. Now, obviously, you don't bring the book back, you're going to get billed for it eventually. Yes. Yeah, of course. But, yes. but having that, that, that nickel and dime thing, now I know it's a source of revenue for libraries, but think about, yes, you would lose that revenue, but look at what you would gain in gate count, because people aren't afraid to come in. There's right. not, not that barrier. Well, there are, there are some libraries, I know the Newburgh Library in our system particularly, that offers a food for fines program twice a year. Yes. Often, where you can actually bring in some canned goods or some non-perishable food items and get fines reduced for an item for each thing that you bring in, which is very helpful. At our library, we also have on budget vote day. It's an amnesty day. So, you know, the person that, you know, has something that's overdue, substantially, maybe it's bailed, they can bring it back not have to pay that penalty and come and vote and say yes. And there's one thing that, that, that as we were talking about fines and, and really overdue stuff, I love that in the news, you know, it'll make the news every once in a while, somebody just returned a book that was due in 1954 and the amount of fines are 17500 No, they just bill you for the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean it, it, but even, even in our system, I think, and if you have a lost book and you find it, you return it. I think we cap the fines at like ten or fifteen dollars. Yeah, it's a certain right. Amount. And then you go to billing after yeah. that. Yeah. And it, it, there was a model back in the '90s where if you didn't pay your fines after a certain period of time, it would actually go to a credit agency, and and it would be put on your credit report. Uh oh. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the fine, the, the system for fines reached a crescendo, probably in the late '90s, early 2000s, where. Now we're really going to hurt you because we're going to put it on your credit report, and now everything is kind of backed off of that because of this perception that, you know, yes, gate counts are down, um, but if they're going down drastically in your library, you're not imagining, and you're not thinking of, and you're not marketing very well. Um, like I also like you know during weather disasters, we I mean libraries at least the libraries that I've seen, you know, I mean, they don't they won't charge fines. Because obviously, if we're closed, or I remember during the major hurricanes in our area, I mean, we don't get them often, but there was a couple of years when we did get a big hurricane. Sandy. Yes, it was Irene and Sandy, yep. where we wouldn't charge fine, if I remember correctly, we didn't charge fines for a week. Well, and, you know? and just jumping off that point, after Sandy, because on the island, we were hit really, really bad. Um, the first thing that happened was we got the libraries open. And somehow, whether we had generators or, or however we did it, we got electric back. 
and we became charging centers. People were coming in and I'll never forget it. They were huddled or we would take out every power strip in the building and plug them into the wall. And there would be people huddled charging their phones because that was their lifeline to the rest of the world. So in times of crisis, libraries are also, you know. Yeah, some are becoming warming and cooling centers too. Yes, absolutely. As well, like if it's snowing or it's I remember here at Nyla last year, and I, I feel bad because I cannot remember who it was or which particular panel it came up in. I thought I do feel like it was mentioned at last year's PLS meeting, the program that followed it, if I recall correctly. But uh, there was some discussion about um, areas where um, li the librarians who were on the panel had felt that they had. Um, would have done something differently in the past. And one of them mentioned how during one of the major hurricanes, it may have been Sandy, um, a woman actually came in with uh, a couple of buckets and asked if she could fill them with water because there was no running water at her house. I remember this. And she, and she said at the, at the time, because she was a fairly newbie librarian, she, she you know, was sticking to the rules and, and ended up turning her down and realized in retrospect that that woman may have been turned off from the library forever because of that. And how in, in, you know, in the future, that's the kind, of, the kind of out of the norm services that libraries might provide in these kind of emergency situations. And that could become you know, a, a more regular thing down the road if it's something we find people need. Well, it's funny because that brings up the whole topic of the culture of yes, which is the new philosophy in libraries for the most part, where if you're saying no, there has to be uh, an intervening, you know, an intervening, compelling reason to say no. Um, obviously, no, you can't pull your pants down in the middle of the reference room, the reference <laughs> office. You know, you can't. You know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you need a shirt to come into the library. You know, you can't come in barefoot. Simple things like that are obvious no's, but you know, as far as can I bring my coffee to the computer room? Yes, because let's think about it for a second. Back in the day when you know everything was, you can't have any liquid anywhere near. As I put my coffee cup right next to my iPad, <laughs> tempting fate. I know, right? <laughs> oh, look, I just put it right on top of my iPad. He did too. <laughs> for those of thinking home, he does at least have a lid on it. Yes. Well, minor details. <laughs> but thinking, what's what is the okay? Because now most of the, if we're doing a desktop thing, we have those little HP things, and they're all the way in the back, and you know they're zip tied to to all holy heck to the desk in one way, shape, or form, and the monitor, and all that other stuff. What's the worst possible thing that can happen? Oh no, I spilled my coffee in the keyboard. keyboard. How much is a keyboard? A couple bucks. Yeah. Right, so who cares, <laughs> you know? Exactly, I see all those no food and drink signs all over, and people ignore it. <laughs> even though even the staff ignores it. Well, unless it's a problem. And now the big trend in libraries, and our library uh, has had this for a while, is having cafes in the library. I love that idea. And our, the cafes that we have also bakes. So in the morning, it's absolutely criminal because you smell all of these wonderful, <laughs> amazing things. And plus they do cold brew, so they're brewing to, to chill it for the next day. So there's all these horrible, terrible, disgusting smells coming out of the, and by that I'm being very facetious, <laughs> uh, coming out of the cafe. And you're just like, how, how do we survive this? Because it, it, it's so warm and inviting. And now it's to a point where we're, we, we uh, have an elementary school across the street from us. And, and where I work in the maker spaces, big, big windows. 
and you see a steady stream of foot traffic, because our main entrance is in the back of the building, you see a steady stream of foot traffic from the school. And now the Suffolk County Sheriffs are coming. And now the police, when they're on their breaks, they're coming, and they're all coming to get coffee and pastry. And so it's, it's another draw to get people in. Encourages people to come in and stay in, because if you can't drink, you can't eat, there's a certain amount of time that you'll be there before you're like, well, I need to go eat, I need to go drink something. Right, and right. what a better way to keep a captive audience. Yeah, now it's not, you know, it's not sustenance food, it's, you know, it's chocolate this, and cookies, and muffins, and the scones. If you, if you end up going to the Sachin Public Library, you have to try the scones. Mm -hmm. They have seven different flavors of scone. It's unbelievable when you say scone. Ew, scones? Ew. <laughs> no, it's, it's really good. So isn't it funny that um, we can do cooking programs in the library, but some libraries like, yeah, there's a cooking program, but you can't have food, you can't have drink in the library. What? What sense does that make? Right, exactly. So what's nice is there's this reimagining from, from stem to stern, top to bottom. What, why are these policies here? Are they here just, and, and there's this, this dirty phrase in library land, it's called, because that's the way we've always done it. Exactly. Oh, right? Why, why? That's like... Shudder. That's like, when, when you say, Mom, I want this, why can't I have it? Because I said so. No, what? <laughs> that's not a reason. It's not a reason. But, you know, it, what's nice is libraries are recognizing that. And that's the way we've always done it. Should probably be added to the George Carlin Seven Dirty Words. <laughs> I totally agree. Because we're reimagining what we're doing, and you can't do that with the mentality of, oh, we've never done that before. We can't do that. And I get librarians are not really good with change. Right. We gotta suck it up a little bit. We gotta. People get so comfortable in their routine and the way they've always done things that they just forget to really evaluate it new perspectives and change is sometimes threatening, you know, will I be left behind? Right. And I think that's the concern, but really moving forward is you know, something that will happen. Mm -hmm. So get on board the train, I guess. Exactly. Well, well I think that's, that's the, uh, the key aspect of libraries is that we are constantly moving forward, but at the same time, we're also preserving what was already there. Mm -hmm. So it, it's always, it's a delicate balancing act, like you have to, um, one thing that we do at our library is, you know, obviously we're always moving forward, but trying to, um, you know, provide up-to-date technology, you know, the computers, we have a, uh, a video game collection, we just actually started circulating one of those classic NESs that has 30 games on it from nice. the 80s, that's pretty fun, to find that modern stuff, but at the same time, we're also trying to preserve you know, what libraries originally stood for, we actually have an, uh, an organization at our library called the Black Dirt Storytelling Guild that was uh, founded and is, is operated by our director, Madeline Foligno. And their goal is to basically preserve the tradition of oral storytelling where effectively the, uh, the, all of this started and to really remind people, you know, how special that is and how important stories can be not just in the, in the written format, whether it be on print or on screen, but also in the oral storytelling tradition. Um, they're part of the national, uh, the national storytelling. Uh, oh, I can't remember what the organization is. Uh, national storytelling guild or some something like that. I don't remember exactly. Hang on, I think I had it on here. But uh, they uh, celebrate a lot of annual. We have our, uh, our our celebration coming up, which is a big uh, annual thing that the group celebrates all over that we're that we're a part of. And I think it's really great that we can help preserve those storytelling traditions to you know 
keep that going while moving into the future while at the same time preserving the past. I think it's great that we can balance that out. It makes a lot of sense, and I just saw your librarian show. You pulled out your phone and said, I'm going to find it over here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll always tell people, as much as I, I enjoy working with teens, I enjoy what I do, I'm a reference librarian first and foremost, always have been. Well, that's the base training anyway, so. But it's, it's nice to see. It's almost like we went to the, you know, to boot camp for the Army or the Marines or something, because we know right away, oh, yeah. wait, I, I can find this. Give me one second. I know a source to go to. So it's, it's really kind of cool. Yeah. I have a strong Google food, they say. <laughs> <laughs> I can Google with the best of them. There you go. That's great. Well, thank you for coming in and sharing your stories with us. And um, maybe we have you guys on again. We'll do a Google Hangout or something. That would be awesome. That would be, that'd be great. Love to, yeah. Yeah, we'll always be available. Definitely. Yeah, let us know. Definitely. Well, thanks for coming in. And again, tell us again where you're from, just so everybody knows. Orange County, New York. Go we're Orange all from County. We're all from different towns, but we're Orange County. Nice. 90 minutes north of New York City. It's beautiful. It is. Yeah, it that's is gorgeous. They're from Goshen, New York, and I worked out at the uh, Florida Library in Florida, New York, which is about two towns south of them. Very ben, cool. And Barron's also part-time at Goshen. I do. I work um, Saturdays at Goshen. And also. actually runs a video game club. At both, well, at both libraries, technically, because I do the video game group at Goshen, and then I also run a gamers gang as part of my ongoing teen time for the teens at uh, Florida as well. Very cool. And Melissa runs in Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, Program, improv program. She taught a computer coding camp over the summer. She's interning. She's doing all this stuff, and I'm very proud of her. So. And go Syracuse, right? Go Cuse. Go Cuse. Yes. Go Cuse. Yes. Oh, oh. I, I, if anyone's listening who wants to go into graduate school, Syracuse University has been a wonderful experience for me. And I say go keep Another plug. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for coming in. We're going to take a short break when we come back. I think, is that Jill who just walked in? No, that's not Jill. All right. We'll be back in just a minute. And we wanted to give a very special thank you to Melissa and Cameron Tidd. Um, from Goshen, New York, from Goshen Public Library, and also to Baron Angel from the, the Florida Public Library in Florida, New York. They were great guests, and we really appreciated them coming on, and hopefully we can have them on again for an even more detailed discussion about some of the things that are important to them in library land. So stay tuned. Uh, give a listen to part two and part three of the podcast, with part two being Jill Hurst-Wall from Syracuse University, Beth Lathrop from the Strong uh, National Museum of Play, and Carl Guevara from the Seymour Library in Brockport, New York.